Hi, my name is Dustin Fighter, and I beat the often path by making absolutely ridiculous creations suspended from the tree. Welcome back to the Beat the Oven Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual success stories, people who have gone way outside the box in their lives and their careers and found fulfillment. As I've said before on the show, we're very careful not to define success as in made a ton of money. We're looking for something deeper than that, something more than that, something cooler than that. Well, let me tell you about Dustin Fighter, today's guest. Dustin Fighter is one of those rare individuals that when you see his work, you'll just be blown away visually. He's a professional artist who took a highly unusual earth-forward twist with his own career. He put years of design experience into the work of creating out-of-this-world custom tree houses. These aren't your average tree houses, though. They look like a cross between Apple's vision of the future and Avatar. These things are freaking incredible. Not only that, he's actually joining me on the call today from one of his incredible creations. So he's built a company called O2 Treehouses, and he's made an outstanding career from his unlikely passion. So I can't wait for you guys to hear this one. Here's Dustin Fighter, eco-designer extraordinaire. I can confirm for those who are listening only that you do make absolutely ridiculous creations, both suspended from a tree and otherwise. So can you tell us how you got started? Have you always been a designer? How did you get started in building very strange physical objects? Um, yeah, so, you know, I think like many kids, you know, I, I was out there in the woods and romping around and, you know, um, having a great time just, you know, getting dirty and, you know, just got into building forts and that kind of thing. I was, I was lucky there was a, in, my, in the subdivision that I grew up in, there was one right next to it that was being developed and it was just a smorgasbord of like, you know, the scrap piles of materials and things like that from all these, you know, new homes being created. And, um, you know, so yeah, we, you know, we had a forest in my backyard and we, uh, just started throwing boards together and taking it like literally on like a red rider little trailer thing on the bike and pulling materials to, to my backwoods. And yeah, so I, it's funny, like in a way I've, I've always been interested in this, um, you know, strangely, I mean, like I said, like many kids grew up like building forts and that kind of thing. My dad, uh, built a, a tree house for my sister and I, when we, when I was much younger than, than those building days, um, you know, that we absolutely loved. And it was actually, uh, bit of a risky venture to get up into that tree. I was kind of had to do a couple bear hug moves and like, you know, balance on this dead branch, you know, <laughs> eventually fell off, um, pull ourselves up. And, um, yeah, you know, my dad was uh, my, my dad's side of the family, actually. Um, they're, they're all climbers. So a lot of them were climbers. And so, you know, from a pretty early age, I would, we would go out with my dad. I grew up in Wisconsin in a spot called Devil's Lake, and we would go rock climbing there. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, trees, uh, forests, climbing, that kind of thing was really just part of, like, the activities growing up. Just part of your life. 
You know, it's funny yeah. you mention that because I had basically the same thing. The subdivision, I grew up in a suburb of Denver, and the subdivision I was in, there was a giant empty field and then a path and then another empty field. And one of the empty fields had a cluster of trees, not a forest, but a cluster. And they started construction. Now it's all built up. It's all homes. So no kid is <laughs> yeah, going to be exactly. able to do what you and I did, which is another tragic thing we can talk about. But we did the same thing. There was a construction site, and we would steal <laughs> pieces of plywood and various things. And we would build not necessarily some part of tree houses, but we built a lot of underground forts. Like we dug tunnels and put plywood and then put secret entrances where we put sand over the plywood. Wow, so really? Yes. Yeah, so you could be looking over a field and you would see nothing, but only we knew that there was a cave of tunnels there. And uh, that oh was. Oh my God. That's so yeah. like the great escape of you, too. It, yeah. And being the <laughs> idiots that we were, you know, and most of it was pretty harmless. We had juice and we had candy and items in there. Most of it was pretty harmless. But then, like the true adventurers that we were, we decided we should also have a fireplace in this. So we jury rigged a kind of fireplace <laughs> underground, which is so <laughs> insane. And somebody came by and they saw smoke billowing from apparently the field. It was actually one of our four. I mean, everything about this is horrible. And they called the fire department. The fire department came. They uncovered our whole scheme. And that is, for anybody listening, how you as a kid end up in fire safety training in a multi-week program no where way. you learn how stupid every part of that is. But we were stupid. We didn't know. So that's my that's, little little story. You, you like childhood. literally smoked yourself out of your own fort. Yes. But to our credit, nothing actually went wrong except for the fact that somebody else freaked out. So right. we didn't burn anything down, thankfully. We didn't hurt ourselves aside from taking years off of our life and smoke inhalation, right. I'm sure. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh my God. I say that just because now that you said it, it brings to mind that, yeah, how many people have that are going to have that childhood? How many people are even going to know what a treehouse is in the future? That's another aspect altogether. But you grew up in an outdoorsy way. You're building these things. And just before we jump into it, you're in a treehouse. You're in one of your creations right now. Can we get a 360 view of this thing for the video watchers? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad my cell phone will make it easy for the tour. Um, is that a couch? Yeah. It is. It's a couch. Amazing. <laughs> it's a futon, a table, actually. And... A futon, of course. Got to double purpose it. Yep. There's the, uh... you know, so this is a glamping treehouse. It's beautiful. Well, thank you. Um, and from the outside, I'm, and we'll show these pictures up on the video as well, but yeah. the outside, I'm sure, I've seen all the photos of your website. They're truly spectacular. They're not just your average treehouse. They're insane. Yeah, I mean, I, I typically need to qualify that, you know, if I tell somebody that, you know, we build treehouses, it's like, it's probably not what you're thinking. It's more of like a sculptural thing that you can like go inside of that hangs in a tree. Right. Imagine you know? those modern, yeah. chic, artistic, like every creation you've built, both in terms of tree houses and in terms of your other art, looks like it belongs on a magazine cover or in an Apple TV original quaint spaces or home or whatever it's called. It's stunning. Yeah. All of it. Oh, thank you. I mean, I think I'm not the That's... only one who thinks that. You've received a lot of accolades. They're, they're insane. And I think yeah. you've probably unlocked which is so cool about your story. You've unlocked a dream in a lot of people because I've seen you've gotten a lot of press coverage. You've probably unlocked a dream just like how I hadn't thought of that story of my childhood until you said that. 
I think you probably unlock a lot of hidden memories or wishful thinking from a lot of people who see your work. It kind of harkens back to a mythical, ideal, previous time. And that's kind of at the heart of what your work is all about. So maybe tell us what's your philosophy behind building these O2 tree houses or uh, glamping yeah. tree houses, whatever you call them. Yeah, nice. I mean, um, it's it's simple. It's just that, you know, we need, I think people in general need to, um, you know, reconnect with nature and have, you know, hopefully profound experiences in nature. Um, you know, tree houses is a space that um, unlo- unlocks all those things and in us for a variety of different reasons. I think, you know, there's kind of like this primordial kind of like being up and high and out of the way of the creatures on the ground uh, from like a safety perspective that we probably don't even realize uh, that kind of gives us this like kind of gleeful, magical kind of feeling. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's the lore of the treehouse, right? It's just, it's like in our cultures, you know, of course, especially in the West and uh, you know, Berenstein bears and um, all that Calvin kind of stuff. Hobbs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's all that you could go on. And, um, you know, so yeah, it, it does unlock, like you said, the, those memories of a childhood when, you know, it was just all about play and like, you know, what can you get into? And it's just like, you know, your, your, your brain was just like wired into the present moment. It wasn't, wasn't wired into, you know, like these long-term planning spaces that our minds end up in and become fixated on, uh, all the time, you know, and of course it's required to, to live uh, an adult life. Right. But, you know, I think, uh, getting away into the trees, um, into nature, especially into the treetop, um, you know, yeah, it unlocks the, the magic of childhood and, and, um, and also being in like a, a quaint, small kind of unique, special space, um, has its, uh, you know, the architecture, uh, you know, just, um, you know, there's so many more opportunities to kind of play with, uh, you know, the, the view of, of nature and that kind of thing, you know, yeah. in a smaller space, you're just less like layered and layered up and there's less ultimate kind of separation from nature and disconnect when you're, when you're in a tiny little spot and you got some big windows, it's like the, the, the divide is smaller between nature. That's so true. And you're based out of Oakland, California. Is that where you grew up? No, I, I grew up in Wisconsin, outside okay. of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, and when I, I, I went to school in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and, you know, I, when I got out of school, you know, I had this idea to build this tree house, a G does exterior tree house. And, uh, you know, you know, created that. And when I created the business, people are like, Oh, you're going to move out to California. Right. Like, you know, older wives are like, yeah, you're going to end up in California. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be, I'm going to stay here in Minneapolis, like, you know, center of operations in the country. I think like that summer I was like out in California building my first <laughs> tree house. <laughs> he said, now yeah. you know why it's so expensive out here. Right. You, yeah, you've exactly. cracked the code. Here's an unusual success story for you. Let me introduce you to Elizabeth Cochran Seaman, a.k.a. Nellie Bly, exposer of the horrors of a mental asylum in the late 1800s. 
I'm scared already. In 1885, Elizabeth read an article that argued that women should only have a domesticated role in the house, raising kids, cooking, and so forth. She wrote a sharp rebuke under the pseudonym Nellie Bly, earning her a spot as a columnist. Fun fact, she got her pen name from a song by Stephen Foster, who was basically the Justin Bieber of 1800s American folk music. Nellie became an investigative reporter, exposing unsafe working conditions, poor wages, and long hours at a local factory. Thank God all that's over with. <coughs> Amazon. <coughs> As an investigative reporter, she was given the terrifying assignment of looking into the Women's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell's Island. You're welcome for the movie title, Hollywood. Her task was, quote, go undercover at the asylum with no guidance, even on how to gain entry, never mind how to get out, unquote. Well, isn't that a whole big bag of nope? She pretended, as I often do, that she was from Cuba and was searching for missing non-existent trunks. Getting in, as you can imagine, was the easy part. Over 10 days, she documented spoiled food, abuse, obscene neglect, filthy living conditions, and the general hellscape of an asylum that was well on its way to becoming eternally haunted, no doubt. She wrote a book on it called 10 Days in a Madhouse, which is just 700 fewer days than most of us have spent in a madhouse during this pandemic so far. Nellie built a career sticking up for what she believed in when nobody else believed in and around her. So learn her lesson well, I say, and expose, expose. Yeah, so I ended up moving, um, you know, or just coming out to Los Angeles to build the structure. Actually, it was first San Diego, uh, then made my way to Los Angeles and had, you know, more projects there. Eventually, I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, I live in Los Angeles now. I should probably close up, close up shop in Minnesota. Um, yeah, moved out in 2008 to Los Angeles. Well, that's very cool. And at this point, are you full-time? Is this your full-time work? Do you have any kind of other work or side hustle? No, yeah, this is my full-time gig for sure, yeah. And has been for a long time. How long? Um, I think probably 2008 when I moved out, it, was, it became okay. full-time. I mean, it became a full-time focused pursuit when I moved out to Los Angeles, you know, I didn't necessarily have like back-to-back -back pipeline of projects at that point. Um, but for sure it was like what, it was what I was doing. Like I wasn't, I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't taking any other you know, jobs or employment anywhere else. Uh, I was, I did work with a, a bamboo company out of uh, Santa Barbara that was doing these large bamboo tensegrity shade structures for music festivals and other, you know, sculptural creations out of bamboo you know, which like really tailored, you know, well with like a lot of like the rigging aspects that I was working in with the tree houses and that, uh, that really filled in the blanks for me. Very thankful for that work. And then, you know, learned so much from the owner there, Gerard Benikawa. And, uh, but you know, after a while, I'm like, why am I in Los Angeles here? It's like, I'm in the desert and like the world's largest trees are you know five hours north just north <laughs> <laughs> so he ends up in oakland now it all makes sense yeah exactly that's how i landed here it's like all right red and that was always the thing like i think my first sketches of a treehouse you know like when I, after i was in design school and like think about that um yeah it was it was like this giant geodesic sphere in a redwood you know whoa so you went to school for design so it's not completely out of the blue you trained yeah, no. formally now, what did you cover in design school? Surely not this specifically. No, no, definitely not this. Um, but uh, I went to school for furniture design. 
um, at uh, Minneapolis College of Art and Design, and they had a, a, a great furniture program there and um, and sculpture program. And, you know, what is it? It's like it's this it's so much of like uh, art education is is, you know, understanding philosophically what it is that you're concerned about, where you fit in um, on all these different aspects of of your art, of your creation, like what do you want to bring to the world? Um, just like the, the other part was just learning, you know, the capacity of materials and all the other technical aspects like, you know, computer programs are using um, and, you know, the tools, of course, so different ways in which to create things and, and understanding craft and all those beautiful things and meditation of craft. Um, yeah. So that's cool. kind of my background. Yeah. I, I always joke that I'm actually making, you know, giant tree furniture, you know? Sure. And if I look at your website, you have lots of different sculptures, furniture, so you have all, and there's a, a sort of common thread to your work, I would say, as an un, as an ignorant observer, there is something that feels like your style that emerges from browsing through your website. And that thing that you have is this thing that I'm extremely aware that I do not have and have never had in my whole life. This artistic sense that you look at a space, you look at a thing, you think it should be like that, or you, you angle it, you clearly have an eye for this stuff. And I wish I had that eye because I, I just am endlessly in awe of people who do, but I know that I absolutely do not. I don't even know where to put a chair in a room in my house. I don't know what to yeah. do with any of <laughs> And my wife's like, that's not right. And I'm like, uh, okay. Like, I believe you, but I don't know what to do. So yeah, is like, that how a are you gift? making your decision? <laughs> exactly. Have, have you always had that ability? Did you, as a kid, were your drawings a little better than the kids around you? Or is it something that you developed through training? Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, um, I guess, yeah, I don't know. I guess I maybe had a knack for it. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, my grandma is an artist and, you know, so my mom's side of the family, like they all like, you know, bitch and complain that there's like, you know, not an ounce of like creative, you know, blood in their body and all that. And like, that's so untrue because they're all musical, more musically oriented. And then my dad's side of the family is like, they have more of a creative capacity. Um, and my grandma's a, a painter. And so like at a very early age, like, you know, we would go over there and do arts and crafts and all that kind of stuff. And my sister and I started like, uh, you know, drawing these Christonia statuettes that you would collect. And, you know, my sister Heather started doing that. And I remember that was like very early memory of, you know, like, Oh, it was like this thing, like art and drawing and stuff like that. And Heather was so amazing and talented at like just getting it. Oh, so perfect. Mine were like really like rough and, <laughs> you know, like in a different place altogether. Um, yeah. And, you know, one thing that I remember was like, you know, people have this like a gradation, various capacities to visualize things, you know, which is sure. really sounds like sometimes it's really hard to understand like where somebody falls along that spectrum. And like, and I've learned this with clients you know, some can, you can show them a picture and they can take that and really can run with it and they can end up in the space in their mind's eye. And others really can't. Like, you'll show them a model and you zoom around the model and they still won't really understand what it is or, you know, it doesn't come across. And so, yeah, I think, you know, visual spatial awareness, like I always had a, a knack for that. I remember um, I was in this group called Odyssey of the Mind, you know. I, and, we had that in my school too. Did you? 
I didn't do it, but I I subbed for a friend one time. There was a competition. Okay. They said, well, guys out. We jump in. And I jumped in, so I participated in one Odyssey of the Mind competition. And I think we oh, had cool. to stack spaghetti with marshmallows, one of those typical <laughs> challenges, or how high can you build a structure with spaghetti? And I don't know what it was. You like subbed that. in for one day. You got the spaghetti and marshmallow name? Man, yes. lucky. Yes, I did. Yeah. That's and the fantastic. teacher was really funny because she took it incredibly seriously. And so she dabbed some vanilla on our foreheads because she somehow believed that was a good luck sign. Wow. Okay. Like vanilla extract. She said, you need this. It will yeah. help your brain. <laughs> That's okay. That's for real. <laughs> yeah. You, you grew up in California though. I didn't. I grew up in Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so six in one half dozen in the other, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. So Odyssey of the Mind, you're building structures, you're solving problems, you're competing at solving problems. <laughs> that was one, no, I was, I was thinking that story because, you know, it probably was the subject, but um, we're like trying to create a boat, you know, it's like a 2D boat out of cardboard. And um, we're like painting and attaching to, like tissue paper, something to the side of it. I was kind of like, oh, why don't we, why don't we like cut off the corners so like it's round like a boat, you know, and that was, um, you know, the teacher was thrilled by that. And other kids were like, oh, yeah, wow, like, great, you know, and uh, it seemed like such an obvious thing to me. I don't know. I don't know why I told that story. but Well, because I think in the greater sense is that things that seem obvious to you are not necessarily obvious to other people. And the fact that you found a career out of this, certainly not obvious. I can imagine sure. that's a theme that's run through your life. Yeah, yeah, I'm, well, and this is getting weird because it's like there's so many other people, obviously, with you know, you know, visual like talent to like mechanically understand shapes and all of that. So, um, but yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. I love coming up with, uh, you know, it's the challenge of like you know coming up with a form and then trying to figure out how to come up with engineering concepts, uh, connections, etc., to make it work, but also, you know, to make it. Uh, to work and flow visually is um yeah it's like the sweet spots the heart it's the flow space of of design for me super cool bloop, 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 bloop. do you have somebody that you know who is an artist who wants to take their work to the next level do you know somebody who needs to take that next step in their highly unusual career well you know what you should do right now you should share this episode with them or share it on your social media feed <coughs> share it anywhere Help me grow this podcast so I can continue to bring these outstanding people and stories from all around the world. It's a collaborative effort. If you've been a passive consumer, please do something active. Share, subscribe, leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe anywhere, because it takes tremendous effort to put this show together each week and to find these people and to interview them and to put in all of the work afterwards. And if we can build a community, that will make it all worthwhile. So do your part to help this community grow. Subscribe, rate it five stars, do everything you can to help this podcast grow. I would greatly appreciate it. And now back to the show. So when you're back east, before you even ever thought about coming out here or doing anything like that, what point in your career did you feel that, A, you could make a career out of this? And B, did you have any concept of what, the business model actually would be how you could make a living with your art? Um, no, not at all. I was, you know, hopelessly uninformed, I would say about, you know, business, you know, 
it's like in hindsight, oh, I should have, you know, read more, or like, you know, gone to a program or something like that, and like just gotten like the core basics. But, you know, I think that a lot of artists and designers are, are ultimately put into that position where you need to, you know, wear an entrepreneurial hat, whether you like, like it or not, you know, um, could really, you know, just do so much better for themselves. Like if they did get, uh, you know, pull information now, it's so much easier to go on YouTube and just like, you know, binge. Um, but, uh, it was, it, none of, none of that was a consideration. It was really just, um, you know, it was a conversation with my dad and that he had just moved into a new house, had some awesome trees and we were reminiscing about the tree house that he had built and thought, Oh wow, we should build a tree house, you know, out here. And this poplar tree is amazing. Poplar tree, really tall. And I just started sketching on it and came up with this like, you know, G does like sphere idea. And that design process was uh, hilarious. So I like to tell that because it was you know, one of those things where it was just like, you know, snap your fingers, like you jump her and you're like, arrive at the solution wow. but it was a i was trying it was a tp i was wanting to create a platform and that's just you know support the edges of the platform around a single tree and you know the cables ultimately have this tp shaper coming down and interrupting all the interior space and i started like drawing like how do i triangulate this the side of this structure so that the cables um won't interrupt the space and push them out and so i'm like triangulating off of a platform i'm like oh a geodesic sphere has already done that, you know, and, uh, as we all know, obviously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, For Um, everybody listening, of course. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You didn't know Um, that. I'm shocked. Yeah. So then, then I was hooked on it. I was like, Oh my God, like a G Doug sphere treehouse, like perfect. It's like a little ornament and you know, engineering wise, you could hang from any one of the hubs. And so then I started rendering and sketching on it. And I pitched to a couple of YMCA camps and they're like, get out of your kid. Like, hmm. no, we're not going to suspend all of our campers. Like you're just off the turnout part, you know? Um, my dad saw that I was like really into it and gave me a, a budget of $3,000. And I think half of that went to pay my school loans and my rent or something. Um, but I, I went back uh, for that summer and this was after I graduated and, you know, built it out of like aluminum conduit and, you know, hopelessly undersized hardware. And uh, those, you know, it was high density polyethylene canopy and floor and everything. It was like all very recyclable and unboltable. And um, yeah, so that was the first one. And like the, the blogs, I caught on to that and I got some publicity and it was just like, I was kind of hooked at that point. It was just, it was so much fun. I mean, it's like, I'm out there hanging in a tree, building this like cool piece of architecture, um, this object. And I'm like, oh, wow, maybe people could actually, maybe there's a market for this. People would actually buy these. And um, yeah, so, you know, that was just like a super gradual like arc you know, like I said, end up in Los Angeles and still working doing bamboo work and uh, just one job at a time. Like I just, I just never took my eye off of that, that focus, like to continue with that line of work, I guess, with that. Sure. Yeah. Do you have any templates at this point or is every job a custom job? 
Um, no, definitely we've come up with, uh, um, you know, of course, there's like the traditional way to build a treehouse with like the lamp beams and the tabs and the tree. Um, you know, then there's uh, like the geodesics have traditionally been, um, you know, different ways to engineer it, different materiality. Um, however, we've come back to some systems related to that. Um, you know, but that's what, kind of where Treewalkers comes in. The, the new business that we've launched is that, you know, the reality that uh, when you grow a company and you start to incur all the additional costs of being in that business insurance, like uh, the uh, labor burden, et cetera, et cetera, you know, you do, you do need to start to gain efficiencies and, and, and make some more conservative choices because now you're balancing like, you know, however many your staff is like livelihoods and lifestyles on the consistency of your work and the predictability of it and all of that. So you know, with the desire to grow and like try and bring this idea on treehouses, you know, especially of like a more modern sculptural type, like to the world, um, you know, through some sort of model that was scalable was always kind of something that I was like thinking about trying to wrap my head around, um, you know, like the geodesic and where Buckminster Fuller came in related to the philosophical ideas around that were um, always of interest as well in sustainability. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's where tree walkers comes in. And so we're, you know, we're trying to, we're getting through all the, the hard parts trying to scale a manufacturing of a specific you know, system that this trust system that we're trying to develop and this tent, you know, so I'm in the product of the tree walkers right now. And this one spent, you know, cost way too much money versus where we need to sell them in the market. Um, yeah, that's the path that we're on a bit right now. Incredible. Well, it looks fantastic, so I can see why. Uh, all right, so I know we have very little time since you have a hard stop, but on the scale from zero to 100, sure. zero is the worst career you can possibly imagine for yourself. 100 is the absolute utopian best. Where do you feel that you're at right now on that scale? Oh, my gosh. Wow, that's that's a great question. My gosh, I, I think that... Um, Oh, geez, I, I'm hundred because I feel like that's like Nirvana, like semi-unreachable. Hundred is you just sit there in a gentle breeze, <laughs> but you're kind of yeah. doing it because you're in a treehouse right now in nature. All right, but go yeah. on. Yeah, probably, probably in the ninety percentile, I would say. You know, like um, I've, you know, I definitely would like you know, the financial rewards of the industry that I chose to be, to be greater. It's like, you know, it's, it's really tough on your own business and making it all flow and meet, especially living in the Bay area, you know? Sure. Um, and so I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm on the long path, you know, on the long curve, hopefully at all just investing in growing a portfolio and figuring the equation, out. hopefully that'll pay off in the long run. For us, but you know, now I'm like, as I'm growing older, I'm seeing, you know, my colleagues and friends and all of that, like, have held jobs and all that for a good part of their career now, are just buying nice homes and like, you know, I'm just, I'm just not there with the business at this point. Um, and we're finding success and all of that. Um, 
And so I think with tree walkers bringing stability and a different type of clientele, we can really build like, you know, multiple tree houses and one logistical around yeah, a single location, that kind of thing. We'll start to see, you know, success. Uh, it's important to talk about the financial side, you know, cause um, it, that's important as well as the creative uh, but creatively, I'm like very much fulfilled, you know, especially at this point, there's just an abundance of, you know, projects and interest coming to us. And, um, you know, I, I want to activate it all. I want to. You know. Yep. That makes sense. Uh, do you experience a lot of stress on a day-to-day basis in your work? Or do you feel that you're able to work relatively stress-free? Um, you're kind of stressed on a daily basis. Yeah. Do you experience a lot of, a lot of stress in what you're doing? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of stress. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, as the company grows, any entrepreneur is going to experience a lot of stress for sure. I mean, your position is ultimately, you know, the reception point for all of the biggest and most major problems occurring. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, the ways in which people handle that stress is like incredibly important to, um, you know, what kind of impact it has on you. Right. Um, I think that, you know, I've had such an arc here, just like bootstrapping this company, that uh, I've just seen like so many different situations of stress for various reasons that I'm a little bit more, um, I can take it a little bit more in stride just cause like, you know, you just, after a while you just see the evidence that like everything works out and it's like, all going to be okay. You don't need to like hyperventilate or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, one major thing is there's just like a lot of interruptions. Like, so if you want to personally produce work and like focus on something to a high level, high degree and get into a flow state, that's really hard as, as owner of the company, you know, because you're really more in like a coaching role. You need to be checking in with a variety of different positions constantly. Um, and, you know, I think with a design build firm, you're doing, of course, we need to make sure all the details of the fabrication installation are, are met, but also doing all the aspects of, you know, essentially an architectural firm, ensuring that um, the details are are met in, in that space. Yeah. So it's fucking stressful. Yeah, for sure. It's stressful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't get me wrong. But it's like if you find that work that has the right balance of like, you know, um, you know, interesting problems to solve and, and challenge. It's like, and the stress is really just challenges, right? Then I think that's, that's a requirement. Like that's, you know, it's like you, it's a perfect little balance there. It's like, if it's too boring, you're like looking for the next thing. You're like, I'm I'm done with this grass screener. Um, Yeah. And if it's overly stressful, then you're just like, I can't, my body and mind can't handle this. So yeah. It's like, like Sisyphus. You found that balance. Yeah. Sisyphus. Exactly. You're pushing that. Yeah. <laughs> like, the geodesic dome up a hill. And it keeps crashing down. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you found some of that balance. And I think 
there are a lot of artistic people out there, people who might think that they have a gift, but what is often not attached is the commercial part of it. So as a quick piece of advice for somebody who feels that they're, let's say, maybe they're good at arranging a space or they're good at drawing or they're good at any of these little artistic things, how do you recommend that they start taking that passion and formalizing it into more of a career path? Um, you know, it's, I think that you folks in those positions ultimately need to, you know, really search their soul and ask themselves like, how much are you willing to give up of, of stability or lifestyle or whatever it is? Um, you know, which is ultimately connected to like the, the amount of risk you're willing to take, you know, what's your, what's your amplitude to take on risk in your life? You know, like, you know, what's your borderline? You know, are you willing to live in your vehicle? Are you willing to like go homeless? Like where, where does it end in pursuit of, of the thing that you prize most, like your focus, the thing that you like feel in, in a gut, yeah. you have to be doing, you know, like it, it just, it, it brings you to a place of just feeling thrilled and excited almost regardless of the mon monetary reward from it. And if you like, if, and if you have, if you like my professor always said, like, Oh, fine, you know, follow your bliss, you know? So it's like, if you, if you just, you know, if, if, if something makes you happy, it shouldn't, it can be light, right. It can be free and light doesn't need to be like heavy and hard. Like, Oh, like I know, like, this is my thing that I want to be doing. Um, you know, cause you never know, right. That's the, that's the fallacy. Like you never know, you'll never know. Uh, there will always, always be a bazillion options. You always be considering them. But if you're like happy enough, like doing the thing, you know, it's like taking you from one curiosity and discovery point to the next. Um, and that's fulfilling enough for you. Cause it's always going to be the static of our brains thinking and trying to solve and figure out what, what's my life for Whoa, what should we do, really be doing all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, find out what your, what your risk capacity for risk is. And then um, ultimately, like if you, I think, and I'm just like, you know, standing on the, standing on the shoulders of giants here. So many, you know, great society, but it's like, um, if, if you can uh, just stay with something for long enough and just keep doing it, um, that, uh, you know, eventually you'll be, you just get better and better at like practicing an instrument. Eventually you'll be able to really make, you know, this passionate music that people want in the world. And, um, and ultimately I think that, uh, you'll, you'll receive that financial success, right. And it's an investment in yourself and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a path where you're, you're just constantly learning constantly challenged and there's always hurdles. And, uh, but that's the work of life, right? That's the, that's the challenge and beauty of it. Um, so yeah, hopefully that was, that's a great answer. It's a sage, raw, real answer to that question. So I yeah. know we've got to quickly jump up, but I, I want to ask one thing. So your whole life is pretty unconventional from the typical path of go to work, get a nine to five, 
you work your way up the ladder in a corporate hierarchy, you're pretty far off of that path at this point, I would say, in your life. Sure. What is something unconventional that you believe that you think that a lot of people around you don't believe? Unconventional that I believe a lot of people don't believe. Um, I, I do truly believe that, you know, this is, um, you know, this is, this is the whole, essentially the philosophy of like manifestation and all that. But I think that, um, that you like crystallizing something in your mind's eye to the absolute greatest detail that you're able to, um, just without getting like, you know, how the universe works and philosophy and all that, like it just, it literally just like creates a list of things like recently conceived in your mind and you start seeing those things. You just start seeing those things, you know, there's just so much information we need to bring in on a daily basis. And you, you, it's, it's, it's unbelievable amount of detail and, and, you know, fissures and pathways you can go down into conversations and, you know, things that you're pulling out and intuiting from the world. And uh, yeah, if you're making that little list of those things that you want and like making the vision crystal, I guess is the best way I can put it. Um, yeah, you just start seeing those things in the world. They'll pop out at you. And if you want to call that manifestation or the universe working in your favor or, you know, like uh, acting and, and giving you based upon your commitment to it, um, it's um, it's a real thing. And I think that, uh, um, you know, so many people that do believe that. So it's not like it's a, a new idea, but there's a lot of people that don't or don't understand that. Um, and these are all the same techniques of like athletes, right? Like, you know, vision yourself winning every step of the way. And it's so great. It's so amazing. It's so powerful. And it's, it's so much fun to be, cause you're dreaming, you're dreaming. And in that act, you're, you're, you're saying to yourself that it is possible and you're living that in your head, you know? And, and then when it happens for you, it just, you're constantly surprised over and over how much it will deliver for you in that way. And it's thrilling, you know, fabulous. Well, your vision is pretty spectacular. That's a great answer. The stuff that you have envisioned and brought to life is truly otherworldly and outstanding. We'll put it all up over this video. I can't thank nice. you enough for sharing your time. Again, your story is one of those ones that I saw. I just thought this is the coolest shit ever. I looked at your website. This is amazing. And oh, I know nice. I'm not the only one who thinks that. You've got a lot of people who feel the same way, and I know you will continue to keep on rocking. I hope that the uh, second piece, that we get the last 10% of the 90s to 100 or 99 at least, I feel yeah. like it will. Just keep at it. You've totally. got one more fan in your corner. I know you got to get out of here, and I want to be respectful of your time, but just thanks a whole bunch for being here and sharing your thoughts. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ross. Yeah, this is uh, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, just like, uh, you know, more power to what you're doing too in this, in this podcast. It's like absolutely wonderful message to be putting out there and stories are so critical to, you know, paving the way for people. So 
Yeah. Thank you. I couldn't do it without people like you saying yes to sit down with a idiot like me. So I'm just humble <laughs> to learn. But thank you. Likewise, man. Likewise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's stay in touch. And with that, the official podcast is over. Oh.